0: Let's all stand together at this time as we reference the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at today the death of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And may God bless the reading of his word today. as my prayer. You may be seated. We've reached that time, that moment in Scripture when Moses' life ends. And Moses joins a very, very long list of people who, who lived and who died? The Bible puts it very succinctly and very soberly in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. It's been said that death is a great equalizer because one out of one dies. God said it long ago in the Garden of Eden. Thou shalt surely die. And indeed... We do. But while the Bible teaches us the uh, truth about death, it also reminds us of the blessed hope. The blessed hope of every believer as we anticipate the return of our Lord Jesus and what we call the rapture of the redeemed where the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we that remain shall be caught up. That's in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And and the word rapture is derived from that Greek word that's translated caught up. We'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then comes that glorious promise. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And though that passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4 was written about those who have died... Or as the passage uh, puts it, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who sleep, uh, who sleep. Uh, and he'd mention again, those who sleep in Jesus. Even so, those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. And that's led to a lot of people to have a, a bad idea, a wrong, erroneous idea about death and what happens after death for believers And so Paul would go on later in the text, if they'd just keep reading, there'd be no confusion because he said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he said it plainly. We're talking about who are those who sleep, those who sleep in Jesus. Those are the dead in Christ. You see, already, even in that young church at Thessalonica, they had witnessed the death of those who had believed in Jesus Christ. They wondered, they were concerned, what happens to our loved ones? That was a big issue then. It's still a big issue today. And Though some of you may sit there this morning and think, well, you know, I've heard all of that before. I know you have. But always be mindful of the fact that as we've said over and over again in our study through Moses, we are constantly seeing one generation pass and another generation uh, who are coming up. And you never know when God is going to bring somebody in that door for the very first time. Maybe they've sat in a church. Uh, maybe they don't know anything about God or anything about the Bible. I hear that testimony more and more and more. So you can enjoy it, even as for some, it might be uh, the best news they've ever heard, that death is not the end. But this truth about our hope in Jesus Christ and how that is set in juxtaposition to uh, the truth about our death and our mortality... This isn't just a message for the dead and the dying. It's not just for funeral services. Remember, uh, Paul wrote about this in letter after letter after letter in the New Testament. And that reminds us that it's not just for the dead and for the dying. But this truth is for the living. (laughs) Those who are alive. And we need to know about this. Uh, The great preacher uh, W.A. Criswell very famously said, you're not prepared to live until you are prepared to die. And there is a way to be prepared to die. I did not say that we must be ready to die. I said you must be prepared to die. There is preparation that must be made. I've often longed for the ability that insurance salesmen have because they can tell you, you know, man, one of these, you're, you're liable to die any time, and you need to leave your family taking, you need to make some preparation, <laughs> and they'll have you signing on the dotted line and writing them a check. And yet, people listen to preachers day after day, Sunday after Sunday, telling them you need to be prepared. Death could come at any moment, and I see people walk out like I've recited a nursery rhyme. There's preparation that must be made for death. And you're not prepared to live, really, unless you've made that preparation for death. We've considered the life of Moses for some time. There's a last chapter, and this is it. Moses died. Moses then became a part of what was called the reign of death in the New Testament. As contrasted with the reign of life then that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wrote about, Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 5 where he said, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'm glad I can stand in this pulpit this morning and tell you that yes, death reigns, but Jesus Christ reigns. There is a reign of death, yes. But there is also, thank God through Jesus Christ, a reign of life. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two famously said, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And every person on this planet this morning is either in Adam or in Christ. People are in Adam because you've been born. There's no other way to be in Adam except to be born. And Then there are those, though, who are in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is to be born again. You must be born again. Now, with these truths and firmly in place this morning, we're going to spend a little time considering the death of, the, of Moses. And in order to do that, I'm going to remind you of a character we studied about some weeks ago, a false prophet. I called him a prophet for profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, for profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, because he would adapt his message uh, according to whatever would bring in the most money. Balaam was a prophet for profit. He was a seer and a diviner. He was in touch with the dark spiritual underworld and he was hired to curse Israel. They paid him a lot of money, but he ran into trouble. You might remember that donkey talking to him that day. Quite a story. God mightily intervened so that instead of cursing Israel, Balaam blessed Israel three times. And a part of that blessing, I'm going to read for you from Numbers 23:10, where Balaam said, who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his see, though Balaam was in touch with that dark spiritual underworld, he had had enough contact with the people of God. And, and now with the Lord God of Israel, that he was longing to be able to live the life of the righteous and to die the death of the righteous. To experience the blessing of God upon his people and then have the confidence that they had as they faced death. Oh, that my last end might be his. Oh, that I could die The death of the righteous but Balaam didn't get it he died under the judgment of God but Moses did Moses did have the death of the righteous and so this morning I want us to think about this for a few moments as Moses left us a magnificent Old Testament example of what it means to die the death of the righteous. And of course, the first thing that it means is that Moses was a believer. Moses was a believer you see there's no way you can die the death of the righteous without being a believer and we know that he was a believer because all the way over in the New Testament remember throughout this study I've tried to relate everything that we preached about to New Testament passages that affirm this truth and and so here it is this morning in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 by faith Moses when he was come to years "...refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward." Moses was a believer. How do we know it? Well, obviously his life tells us that. But if there was any doubt in it, we can go all the way over to that great roll call of the faith, we call it. In Hebrews chapter 11, no surprise, Moses was in it. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he chose instead to suffer affliction with the people of God. Romans 4, Paul wrote of how that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It's an accounting term, accredited, it was deposited to his account. Abraham believed God, and it, then, that faith that he had, was deposited in his account, accredited to him for righteousness. Uh, so that we are justified by faith. And Abraham is God's exhibit A of that in Romans chapter 4. What was true of Abraham uh, then, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it was also true of a long list of other characters, including Moses, who believed God. And it was counted then unto them for righteousness. Now, theologically, we call this imputed Righteousness. It is the kind of righteousness that comes to us when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... Because we had been convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the Word, which is what the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of our sin, we are aware then that we are a sinner. We are aware then that the wages of sin is death. We are aware then of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that we then have a sin problem that we cannot cure for ourselves. And at that moment then, we hear the best news we ever heard, that Jesus Christ died to save sinners well I'm one of those I got good news for you today Jesus Christ died to save you his death had your name on it and if you believe on him then the death of Jesus Christ is counted as your death because that is the only payment for sin the wages of sin is death And when we believe on Jesus Christ, his death is counted as our life. His burial is counted as our burial. His resurrection then becomes our resurrection so that we can walk in newness of life through Jesus Christ. And because we believe on him then, the Bible tells us, we are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Oh, what good news. The good news of the gospel really is. When we are counted righteous, then God has deposited the righteousness of Jesus Christ into our life, into our account. So that the penalty of sin that was on us, Jesus paid. Jesus paid. Jesus paid it all. Aren't you thankful, believers in Christ today? That Jesus Christ paid it all. But then that righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is then accredited to us. So that not only is the penalty of our sin removed. But God looks at us and sees the righteousness. Of Jesus Christ. You say how did that happen? I'm glad you asked that question. It happens by faith. By faith. Therefore being justified by faith. So that while Romans 6.23 famously tells us the wages of sin is death. It also tells us but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord. So when we consider these things this morning. And consider the death of Moses as a believer. And what it means to die the death of the righteous. We need that in our minds and heart. The truth of justification by faith. And the only way to die the death of the righteous. Is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also see that. Moses was. Still dealing with the sin issue. You see, the Bible's very plain and uh, tells us uh, in our text I read to you this morning that when Moses died, his eye was not dim, uh, no cataracts for Moses, and his natural strength was not abated, and he was a hundred and twenty years old. At a hundred and twenty. Moses was still a strong man. Moses still had good eyesight. Moses was obviously still a good speaker. He was able to stand and speak before the people of God for hours at 120 years old. He did not die of old age. They didn't lay Moses down in his deathbed and watch him just waste away as we so often see in our world today. None of that with Moses. Moses was fine. He climbed the mountain. Mount Pisgah, or as we called it in South Arkansas for some strange reason, Mount Piskey I don't know why. He climbed the mountain, and there on the mountain, he died. I rediscovered. I know I'd seen this before, but I'd forgotten it. I had it in my mind that Moses was buried on Mount Pisgah, but he wasn't. He was buried in the valley. The Bible says it very plainly. The plain of Moab, close to Beth Peor. Nobody knows where it is. God. God took Moses' life. And God buried him. And God hid the gravesite. Now Moses had believed God, but it was his famous lack of faith when he struck the rock twice that caused God to read off his death sentence. Not only his, but Aaron's as well, it was a serious matter. God intended that rock to be a picture of salvation in Christ, and we know that because Paul said it in the New Testament, that rock was Christ. And the picture is very obvious to us to see. Uh, Jesus Christ was once smitten, not twice. He was not going to be smitten twice. He was to be smitten, and then he was to be approached uh, with a request. uh, Please, uh, give us some water. Speak to the rock. An act of faith. And it was a beautiful picture. And Moses got mad and messed it up. And God told him because of his sin, his lack of faith, he didn't believe God. Because he refused to make that step of faith, God said, You'll not lead my people into the promised land. You'll die. And God took him up on Mount Pisgah. He showed him all the promised land. And Moses died. But let's remember, though he died because of the judgment of God. Remember, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us they all died in faith. Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having embraced them and having seen them afar off. They all died in faith. And he also tells us that they obtained a good testimony through faith. Moses had then what Paul called that righteousness of God, which is by faith. And because it is by faith, it means, number one, our works cannot produce that righteousness. And number two, our failures do not take it away. It is a righteousness... That is by faith. And so Moses died. Moses died because of his failure, because of a lack of faith, because of a faith failure. He didn't believe God the way he should have believed God. And it was at a critical moment. And as a leader, he paid a high price for it. Both him and his brother died. He did not get to lead them into the promised land. God had Joshua. It was Joshua who was going to do that. Which was, by the way, the plan all along. But Moses still died the death of the righteous. And it's good to know that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have trusted in Jesus Christ and his shed blood for our sins. Then, and it bears repeating, our works don't produce that righteousness. And our failures don't take it away. It is the righteousness of God which is by faith. Moses had that. Do you? Do you? The second thing then about dying the death of the righteous was that Moses was faithful. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 5. Again, we find that New Testament correlation. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which should be spoken afterward. Moses was faithful as a servant. And that tells us that not only do we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, so it affects how we die, but we also believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that affects how we live. Moses was faithful in all his house. And it is, of course, significant for us to understand that though Moses got angry, and though Moses failed, and though Moses didn't believe God the way that he should, and though Moses would die under the judgment of God, the Bible still says that Moses was faithful in all his house. (laughs) aren't you glad that one mess up it's not going to cancel all the times that we got it right with God isn't that great (laughs) Moses was faithful in all his house faithfulness I've told you before does not mean that we are sinless but it does mean that we sin less and it does mean that we serve more Moses was faithful in all our house and it's a great time for us to ask ourselves the question this morning Are we being faithful in our house? The house of Moses in Hebrews chapter 3 refers primarily to the tabernacle that Moses built. Moses built it exactly the way God told him to build it. He implemented all the religious requirements that God gave him for worship in that place. He set up the tribe of Levi to be the the servants in that place. Moses, you see, was faithful in all his house. But the house of Moses, glorious as it was, was merely a picture of the true house of God. Which was built by Jesus Christ. And all this plays out in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And it goes all the way over to Hebrews chapter 9. That that house that Jesus built. uh, And that what Moses built was just a shadow. Just a type. Just a picture. A figure of the real house of God. Which was built by Jesus Christ. And we have access into it. then we're told in Hebrews 9 12. By a new and living way because Jesus Christ obtained eternal redemption for us. So though Moses was faithful in our house, in his house and all his house yet Jesus was faithful in his house and because Jesus was built in the real house of God as opposed to just the figure that Moses built did. Just like Jesus was greater than the angels and all the other figures that are spoken of in the book of Hebrews. Yes, Jesus is better than Moses. Yeah, that's a big thing. But Still, Moses then, in spite of his failure, was able to die the death of the righteous. And first of all, that meant that Moses was a believer. But then it also meant that Moses was faithful. And if we think of faithful as meaning sinless, we're thinking wrong. Moses was faithful to do what God had told him to do. He was faithful in his house. And remember that in the Old Testament, God had a house for his people. But in the New Testament, God has a people for his house. (laughs) And we start talking about the house of God in the New Testament. We don't have to wonder what that is. That is the church of the living God, uh, what Paul called the pillar and ground of the truth. Being faithful in our service. Are we being faithful in our house? So the way that we die the death of the righteous then. Moses was a believer. Moses was faithful in his house. I love this then. Moses left a blessing. Deuteronomy 33 is a whole chapter devoted to the blessings that Moses left. And I've just got verse 1 to put up on the screen for you today. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Now Moses stands as a divider between what we call the patriarchal age of the Old Testament... Uh, you know, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, all of those were in the time of the patriarch. There was a prophet patriarch in the family, and that prophet, patriarch, the eldest, uh, became then the spiritual leader of the family. It was that that uh, Esau despised. He had no interest whatsoever in being the spiritual leader of his family, and we know that because he sold that for a bowl of beans. and a lot of good men today are selling out that privilege for a lot less. Because God still intends for the man, the husband, to be the leader of his household, the leader of his family. Not in that Old Testament patriarchal sense, though. The patriarchal age came to an end because along with that patriarchal blessing, along with that patriarchal leadership, those men became prophets of God, spokesmen of God for their family. And it was an incredible, incredible thing then. Because when those men would reach the end of their life, they could call their sons, lay their hands on their head, and pronounce over them prophetic blessings. You remember that in the case of Isaac, probably the most famous case, uh, but also of Jacob. Uh, Isaac was in Genesis 27. we' read it later, uh, also Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. Uh, now this practice does not continue. Though like a lot of other things out of the Old Testament, there are people today who want to call that up and give you the idea that somehow, you know, as parents we can lay our heads, hands on our children's heads and bring them on them blessings and cursings like they did in the Old Testament. No, no. Moses was the last of the patriarchs for the people of God. With the implementation of the law, you see, they had a new form of worship and a new place of worship at the tabernacle. Moses Ended the patriarchal system. But as the last of the patriarchs. Then Deuteronomy chapter 33. Calls to mind that, Jake, uh, that Moses then read all of those blessings. Or gave all of those blessings over the tribes of Israel. Don't have time to preach all of those to you this morning. Suffice it to say that he called them by name. And he gave them specific promises concerning their future. And probably the most famous part of that promise of blessing out of Deuteronomy chapter 33 is in verse 27 where he says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And once again, we found out this morning that when we're singing that old song, Leaning... Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. We're quoting quoting Moses. How about that? Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So Moses was the last of the patriarchs. And he was able then, before he died, to pronounce that prophetic blessing on his family. Now that ended with the patriarchal age. But it does not mean that we are left without any ability today to bless our children. As they pass out into adulthood, there will be maybe some special moments that you can create. And let me tell you, if a special moment happens between a father and his children before they pass out into adulthood, uh, let me tell you something, Dad, you're going to have to make it happen. You will have to make it happen. That time where you can sit down with your now grown son and about to be out on his own son and look him in the eye and give him some truth that he needs and do the same for your daughters. Look him in the eye and give them some truth that they need to face this world with. And we can still do that. And we can make that moment special. But mostly our ability to bless our children, listen to me today, is the cumulative effect of life and living that has such a powerful impact on our house or our household. So for those who are believers in Christ, like Moses was, who live a life of faithfulness like Moses did, then both men and women can create a legacy that they pass along to their children, a blessing they leave behind for their children. A legacy of faith in Jesus Christ, a legacy of serving God in God's house, a legacy then that will bless their children's 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 children's. Dying the death of the righteous means that we're believers. Dying the death of the righteous means that we're faithful. But then, dying the death of the righteous means that we can leave a blessing, a heritage, a legacy. And and, and there's one more thing, and we're done. Dying the death of the righteous means that death doesn't get the last word, (laughs) it means that death wasn't the end. Remember, Balaam said, oh, that my last end might be like his. But now, wait wait a minute, wait a minute, Balaam. Death death is not the end for the people of God. Uh, Death is not the end for those who die without Christ, you say. Well, that's true too. It's not like you crawl into a grave and pull dirt over your eyes and that's it. No. It's appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die and after this a judgment. But those who die without Christ face eternity in hell. Those who die with Christ. Oh, my. The story's just beginning. Jesus gave us a great example of this in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking. To them i have showed you before how that the mount of transfiguration was a picture of the time when jesus will return for his people what we call the right the rapture jesus will appear in glory and we he showed that glory there on the mount and there was elijah and elijah pictures those who will go to be with the lord without having to experience the pain of death remember elijah went out on a chariot of fire he was caught up into heaven elijah didn't die I want to be one of those who are caught up into heaven without dying. Does anybody else here want that this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to be one of those. I'm listening for the shout. I'm I'm looking for that. I'm hoping for that. That's why it's called the blessed hope of the people of God. And it may be closer than you think. It's probably closer than we all think. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus said, "At such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Moses, if Elijah pictures those who will go to be with the Lord without having to experience the pain of death, Moses then would represent those who are dead in Christ. And Moses is mentioned first, of course, because the dead in Christ will rise first. There appeared with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So the last great thing we see this morning about the death of the righteous is that death is not the end for the people of God. God still has a plan for us. God is still going to work in us. God is going to continue to use us. The Bible says we'll live and reign with Jesus Christ upon this earth for a thousand years. Uh, We're passed into eternity. The whole point of Hebrews 11 then is that death isn't the end. And just because we die without receiving the promise doesn't mean that the promise has been nullified. That's Hebrews 11. Didn't mean the promise failed. So we wrap up this morning reminding you that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus will reign until all of his enemies are subdued. Jesus is reigning right now. But the last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death. You see, believers in Christ still die. The pain of that parting is real and ongoing. We like to say, well, you know, I'm still above ground. And that's good. But it doesn't mean that we aren't dying. Because we are little by little, day by day, moment by moment, suddenly then it all goes away. As in Adam, all die. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And so, it was Moses, by the way, Moses, in Psalm 90, who brought up that whole subject of eternity from everlasting to everlasting. He said, Thou art God. And yet here we are living day by day. And so in Psalm 90, Moses said, Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What great truth that is for us. We can celebrate the fact that death is not the end for the child of God. But yet we know that unless God intervenes with the rapture, death is in our future. We don't get to live forever in this body and in this life. And it's a whole lot easier for me to say. And it's a whole lot easier for a lot of you young people to say. Than it is for some of the others in our congregation. Death casts a long shadow, they say. And it does. We're all living out that reality. And so Moses tells us, God, teach us to number our days. Remind us that our days are numbered. Help us, God, to use our days wisely. Not waste them. But then another thing that Moses said in Psalm 90... Satisfy us early with thy mercy. How do you like this one? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. <laughs> Have you had an encounter with the mercy of God? The sooner the better. The sooner the better. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, Permit the little children, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven satisfy me early with thy mercy. It doesn't get any better than that, than to get saved at a young age and live all your life. Under the reality then of the blessings and the privileges that God has placed in the life of believers, being led by the Spirit of God, being taught by the Word of God, serving God, living for God, rejoicing with God's people, satisfy me early with thy mercy that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. Have you received Christ as your Savior? I, I know, coming to church on Sunday morning, talking about death and dying, you know, man, I, man, I, I, I felt like we was at a funeral today. Well, good, good. It's good to go to a funeral every now and then without having to deal with the funeral. And all the emotion that goes along with that and all the pain that we feel as we grieve over someone we love. But the truth of our death and of what happens after death is all over this Bible, and we need it. Are you prepared for that moment? Let's stand together, please.